The 2017 Australasian Simulation Congress, presented by Simulation Australasia and Simulcast. Hello and greetings again from Simulcast, covering the 2017 Australasian Simulation Congress. I'm Victoria Brazel, and in this episode, Ben Simon takes us on a journey discussing serious games with some of the entrants and the conveners. Now, if you're a healthcare simulation educator, you might not have heard of serious games, but I'm going to suggest you listen to this episode. And what's more, check out some of the websites that are mentioned in the podcast to see what is the state of the art for games that have a serious purpose. You can find the details of these websites on the ASC website or at www.simulationpodcast.com. Here's Ben. And I'm lucky enough to have Dale Linegar here, from the, who is the uh, Serious Games convener for Sim Congress. Uh, thanks so much for coming along. Well, happy to be here. So you're in charge of the Serious Games ac- aspect of this Congress. Yes. What have been the highlights for you? I think it's probably been our best year so far in terms of the quality of entrance uh, and also the attendance of the Serious Games stream. Um, this year, it seems like VR in particular has sort of brought all of the streams together. And I guess it's been a contra- conscious effort by the organisers for the past few years. But VR is something that's sort of crossing over every single domain. Mm. Uh, and I think as a result, we've had a lot of really good VR speakers. So we've had you know, a very mixed attendance in most of our uh, talks, which are sometimes sort of the most poorly attended talks at the conference. So it's nice to see that happening. The, the winner of the industry category Serious Games Showcase and Challenge was Opaque Space, mm-hmm. who's a little, um, not, not so little anymore, but they just started in Hawthorne as a small startup, did their own virtual reality international space station simulation or game and posted it online on Reddit and were contacted by three different departments from NASA wanting them to do work for them. Uh, and that's, a, I guess, one of the other lessons is that even very small serious games groups are doing things that have a really, really big impact. Like I would have thought that you know, NASA has their own teams that could handle that sort of thing or that they could see what other people are doing and just copy it, uh, but obviously not, you know, because mm. they're really working with these guys. And it was the same with our indie winner. Um, Minder Fun with Feelings, who was, which was for Minder Incorporated. And again, it was just a young indie developer, Scott Cabot, who did all the work for them. It's quite a small budget, but has got a really tremendous outcome. Um, by, and he created an app for intellectually disabled people, which doesn't really exist otherwise. So it's good to see the breadth of the work mm. uh, and also just the quality of it and the impact it's having on society. Yeah, I was fascinated by both those examples, actually. Watching um, Minder Fun with Feelings seemed like such a... It had such elegant simplicity, um, but it also hit a really clear learning objective that hadn't been addressed by anybody else. So that uh, aim to try and teach intellectually impaired people how to recognise emotions, it really resonated to me as a paediatric emergency physician as, as like a light bulb. Of course, why aren't we doing this? It was fascinating to watch. Yeah, and I think it's, it's sometimes a bit deceptive, but Scott's now, that's his third entry into the Serious Games Challenge, and he's been doing games and apps for a very long time that help people. Mm. Uh, and it was really good to see him finally strike through and you know, have, a, have a bit of a win, Yeah, because uh, I think he'll represent us very well at the Global uh, Serious Games yeah, absolutely. Challenge. It was a pretty slick presentation. Mm. Did you have any big, were there any apps that surprised you in particular this year? Oh, well, the biggest surprise was the opaque, opaque space uh, app, Earthlight, obviously. Yep. Uh, the first time I went and trialled that, I just sort of walked out with my jaw on the ground. Yeah. Um, I also had to take a bunch of judges over to look at it, and usually we walk out sort of going, oh, this wasn't that good, that wasn't that good, but everybody just walked out going, oh, um, it's just such an awesome experience. Yeah, it's, um, it's very slick production. Yeah. Um, are you able to, d- to describe a little bit for the 
Uh, people who can't experience it? Yeah, it's virtual reality um, using the HTC Vive. So you put the headset on and then you're using the controllers and you can basically grapple your way out of the International Space Station and around it. So you're hanging in space, looking down at Earth. You know, if you let go, you'll drift away. It's all very real to life. They have real-time clouds and weather conditions and all that sort of thing. So it's just phenomenal. It's sort of taking technology to the next level. Yeah, I've spoken to a couple of people who said they actually got quite emotional going through the experience. It's beautiful. Like, it's just really, really beautiful technology. Yeah. And that's what we're here for. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. One final question, I guess, is uh, when I've been sitting in some of the panels, it's been really interesting seeing uh, the IT community interact with the academic community yes. and seeing, um, like this was phrasing in an earlier interview, there's a little bit of tension between accountability and evidence versus the need to innovate and um, push forward and keep, uh, keep coming up with new ideas fast, rapidly and getting them out into the market. Yep. What are your thoughts about that? Um, well, I've probably got one foot in either space, you know, in my personal life because uh, we do a lot of work for academia. I can see the merit of both arguments. I think un not necessarily, unfortunately, but I think the technology side of the argument's winning at the moment, yep. just because it is moving too fast. And I think the academic, me personally, I think the academic process needs to sort of catch up and modify itself a bit uh, because, and I, we do it ourselves, we'll publish a paper, but by the time that paper's out, by the time people are reading it, we've moved so far beyond that and people are contacting us about what we were thinking about two or three years ago. Uh, and it's just not keeping pace with uh, rapid te technological change. Yep. So. It's an interesting difference because I guess in medicine we're used to having to build that body of knowledge that slowly adds up and there's an interesting paper about it taking about eight years for stuff to transfer from paper to practice. Yep. But it sounds like with the technology, the innovation is just so fast that it's a very different conflict. Well, I guess, yeah, I liked what Chris Murphy said about that, which is uh, from Epic Games. He said, well, yeah, but you have to get approved by the FDA. So you have to do all that research mm. before the drug's actually released, whereas we can just make something and release it straight yeah. away. So we don't have to jump through those loopholes. Yeah. I also think there's a bit of sort of fear-mongering around a lot of the technology, you know, like VR headsets, or what are they doing to kids' eyes and things like that. And it just reminds me of being young and, you know, don't sit so close to the television, mm -hmm. you'll end up with square eyes mm -hmm. or you'll end up with bad eyes. Yep. I haven't met anybody who that happened to, mm -hmm. you know, so um, I think it's with all the new technologies, people take a while to get used to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that's the other learning point I took away from the, the serious games uh, sort of aspect of the conference is that I think you that the gaming and the simulation industry have parallels in terms of working towards acceptance and kind of this conflict between uh, needing to innovate and drive forward uh, new technologies versus the need to be accountable and prove that what we're doing is actually making a difference. Yeah, and I think it, yeah, it goes both ways. I think, um, I think industry really needs serious games and that's evidenced by NASA hiring Opaque Space mm. and by Minda hiring you know, Boxhead Productions and just these little firms that can really help them and make an impact. But conversely, serious games needs industry for that credibility. Yep. And that's why it's so important that serious games are part of this Congress because otherwise we're not really being showcased in any way at all. Uh, and it does help get us in front of, you know, the eyes of the decision makers and people who are really going to, um, you know, choose to adopt these technologies in their own organisations. Yeah, I think someone said we need the research to get the investment, but we need the investment to create the stuff to get the research. So it's a tricky, tricky conundrum.
it is it's a chicken and egg sort of thing mm. and often you luck into it and often you know like the, the funny thing is you know something like opaque space it's they didn't really do research they mm. made it because they like space mm. and they just made it as a few you know recent graduates and yep. developers yeah. and they wanted to make that so it's funny the way things work absolutely mm. so dale uh thank you so much for your time i certainly learned a lot about serious gaming over the last couple of days uh and i look forward to seeing what you guys are up to next year no thanks for coming to the conference great thanks so much Welcome back to Simulcast, and we're at the Australasian Simulation Congress, and uh, I'm here with Maureen from the uh, Health Education and Training Unit, uh, looking at her um, entry to the Serious Games contest. How are you going, Maureen? I'm going really, really well. Thank uh, you for coming by. Yeah. And just a little bit about the game. It was came out of a request from rural nurses for further support, and so we took up the challenge. And one of the things that they wanted support with was comprehensive assessment. And we thought we could go down the, you know, the usual path of a module and teach them something they've already learnt as undergraduate students. Um, and so we had a much brighter idea and said, why don't we use the knowledge they already have and put that into the rural context within which they're actually working and it turned out that we created a game that helps nurses who practice autonomously and on their own in isolation um, to do um, primary, secondary and tertiary assessment at the right time and in the right order and then be able to gather that information up and hand over um, to a referral hospital so as they get um, the ongoing care for that patient. The other thing with the game is that it's for general nurses, not for advanced care nurses. So scope of practice we kept very simple and really that is often what your rural workforce is about. Or even if you're an experienced nurse and you move to the country, you think you can do lots of things but suddenly you haven't got that support backup that you normally would have in a tertiary area. So the game um, lets you do the assessment. It gives you some rewards if you're on the right track. Um, it'll minus points if you're not making the best choices. And we've found from our initial evaluation, which isn't published yet, that there's been some um, concepts of nurses who played the game feeling that it has actually helped them in specific areas which were those areas we wanted them to develop their skills. One thing that I found really interesting about your game is um, there's a lot of sort of very fancy, very expensive looking graphics around the room, particularly in the military section. Um, but you took a very different approach to the level of fidelity that was required to achieve your learning outcomes. We had nurses saying, look, you've got to have sound. We need to put the stethoscope on the chest and be able to hear what we should be hearing. And we weren't able to deliver that. But what we have done is certainly with some illustrations, you can see um, what the person's feeling and with the explanation you find yourself immersed into it in any case. So I don't know about other players out there but when I've played the game I actually feel like I'm the one there, I've got to make the decisions for this person and keep them alive. Mm. I think the illustrations for me when I look at them they're beautifully designed in that they're very immediately impactful. Like I'm looking at one with a gentleman with chest pain at the moment and it just is so clear exactly what's mm. going on for that patient straight away. It very much like someone you're looking at across the bed in the recess bay without actually having, having to be sort of hyper-realistic. And we had a great illustrator who did those drawings for us, one of mm. our instructional designers. 
And so we, we did get expert people in to do those elements for us so as mm. we could, you know, really give the impression we wanted to give. Maureen, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And I've got with me Brett Levy from uh, Bilby Labs and we just saw a fascinating presentation uh, on uh, your serious game entry into the competition this yeah. year. I think it really blew away my preconceptions of what a game is in that you were using a virtual world to kind of document the history of your people. Yeah. Are you able to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, um, Virtual Kamei was what I presented. That's the reconstruction of uh, Botany Bay before the arrival of Captain Cook. But the thing with what we're doing is, um, the way we were able to achieve that, it's, 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 a, it's a toolkit. So we want to do many, many more projects like that, and we want to do it for the length and breadth of the country. So we're trying to find better ways, faster ways of achieving that. So we, we reckon simulation is the key to knowledge management. Uh, there's a lot in that, and it's also fun. So I've got an eclectic group of guys all dedicated to telling our stories. Aboriginal followers, I would say, and some token white followers I always mention. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, they're just, it's a good little journey. And what's even more rewarding is the, the feedback we get from people, the people who, who don't think the way we're thinking and, and, and can't see or haven't ever seen the dream time represented in this way. Mm. The traditional song lines, the trade routes, the knowledge, the, the inherent cultural values that have always been here since time immemorial. It looked to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a pretty fascinating way of kind of using technology to document a history that's usually kept in oral form. Yeah, you know, this oral written debate is always there, mm -hmm. all right? But it's still just storytelling. If there's a way that we can capture that moment, record that moment, simulation seems to be the key. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you want, you can do a book. If you want, you can do a, a, a podcast, or you can do a radio show, or you can do a, a doggo. But you know, simulation seems to be all-encompassing. It's the, it's the new media. It's really, really hard, as we all know. The challenge, once you uh, surmount it, you know, the rewards are great. It looked like an incredible amount of work. I guess uh, for those who haven't seen it in Virtual mm. Kamei, there's um, you can sort of walk around mm. a huge geographical area with your avatar, and then mm. you also showed a function where you can overlay that with what the landscape looks like today, mm. which kind of heightened the contrast between... Uh, what happened 200 years ago and now. We want to do what Google Earth does, mm -hmm. but we want to have it as a cultural layer. Yep. Um, we want to respect First Nations people uh, in Australia, but as you know, you know what we're doing. Mm. We can do it for other spaces. We can do it for every First Nations person mm -hmm. and people across the world. Yep. And the other beauty about this simulation is we can do it from all moments in time or a moment in time. Mm. All, all life is is a series of moments, a huge number, some very significant, some insignificant. Mm. So, you know, at least in this, we think we can do some very special moments that symbolise the, 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 the social order, the cultural order of, of our people. And even though it's, you know, people are seeing it and saying, well, that's a wonderful way for Indigenous people, it's not an Indigenous project. It's just simulation. It's just a virtual world. Mm -hmm. It's an open world, virtual world. And in that sense, a virtual world is a moment in time. That's where I think we're, uh, we're headed. That's what we've got. And that's where we're hopefully moving closer and closer to that concept of, a, of an actual time machine. All right, well, thank you so much for that, Brett. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. Cheers. <laughs>